Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Good morning, Crossroads. Welcome to our Sunday morning worship celebration. And yes, Bonnie and Kevin, good to see you guys made it home. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, we are uh, starting a brand new series this morning uh, talking about evangelism uh, because I hope you guys have heard me say this before. It is the most important thing. It is the number one reason and really the only reason why the body of Christ is here and exists today. So um, as we start this series... I wanted to share quickly what evangelism is not, because a lot of people think that, hey, I can't do evangelism, you have to be a paid evangelist, or God has to call you in a special way to do it, which is not the case. There are people who God gifts with the gift of evangelism, but as a whole, the entire body of Christ, we're all called to do evangelism. But because of some miscommunications, and misperceptions about what evangelism is, a lot of people won't do evangelism or feel like they're not equipped to do evangelism. So uh, I wanted to start by talking about what evangelism is not. First and foremost, uh, leading people to Christ, that's not necessarily evangelism. Uh, leading people to Christ, not necessarily evangelism. Leading people to Christ is a good thing. It is something that we're supposed to do. However... Uh, it's not like you have to, like, if I don't pray with you and you accept Christ, then you're not in the, you, you, you're, you're not doing evangelism. Cause that's what the perception is that, hey, the only way that real evangelism exists is when we lead people to Christ and we pray with them and they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the understanding, but that's not the only case. Also, uh, bringing people on Sunday, not necessarily, I mean, it's a good thing. That's just being a good Christian, uh, but bringing people on Sunday is not necessarily evangelism. It's a good thing. It's something every Christian should do, but it's not necessarily evangelism. And congregational outreach, and I'm sorry if people are going to get mad about this, but congregate, congregational outreach isn't necessarily evangelism. Doing spaghetti fundraisers or Easter egg hunts, not evangelism. If you do an outreach that tells people about Jesus, yes, that's evangelism. If you do a spaghetti fundraiser so you can raise funds uh, for, to put a new roof on your building, that's not necessarily evangelism. So that, that begs the question, what is evangelism? What is actually, what constitutes evangelism according to the Bible? If you look up online right now, all you guys who are at home, watching at home, if you go online and you Google what is evangelism, definition of evangelism, you're going to come across a whole bunch of different responses. But the biblical definition of evangelism is this. It's sharing about Christ, sharing about the gospel of Christ, or sharing about what God has done in your life. 
It's sharing about Christ like, hey, here's who Jesus is, that he lived, he died, he is a true person, uh, he paid the penalty for our sins, which is the gospel of Christ, that he was born, that he was God in the flesh, that he became a man, that he lived and he died to pay the penalty for our sins, or just sharing about, hey, here's what God has done in my life. So if you're sharing, here's what God has done in my life, according to the Bible, that's considered evangelism. A lot of people don't consider that evangelism because, like I said, they have this mentality that, hey, I've got to lead someone to Christ and then pray with them, and then when they accept Christ, that's evangelism. That's the misnomer or miscommunication. Uh, that's a good thing, and if you are able to do that, go ahead and do that. There are people that are able to do that, but that's not the definition of evangelism. here. So uh, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Take a moment. Think about the last time that someone told you about Jesus Christ or about God. Uh, and think, one, don't, don't include any pastors, because, I mean, that's what we're supposed to do, tell people about Jesus and about God. Uh, don't include last time you were at a Sunday celebration, because when everyone's inside the building on Sunday, they'll talk about, oh, of course, because that's what they think they're supposed to do. We talk about, here's what God has done in my life, and here's the amazing things that happen, and oh, God bless me in this way. And don't think about any professional ministers or, or, or ministry leaders or whatever. Just think about the last time you were at work or at the gym or standing in line at the grocery store and someone started to tell you about God. Most of us, that doesn't happen a lot. But based on the definition of evangelism, like telling people about Jesus, telling people about the gospel of of Jesus Christ, or just telling people, here's what God's done in my life, evangelism should be happening every single day. Like every day in all of our communities, uh, evangelism should be going up. So really quick, uh, Martha Bradford said she needs prayers for Bob and Aries. And Martha, uh, put a message in as we start to wind down, and you hear us winding down this message so we remember to pray for them. But evangelism is the heart of why we exist, but it doesn't happen every day. It happens. If you think about, you know, the pastor doing it, you think about people sharing on Sunday at the Sunday celebration. But where it's supposed to happen is outside of the four walls, in and around the community, and it doesn't. But it's something that God tells us that we're supposed to do. Uh, in the book of Psalm 105, it says, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. This isn't even to Christians. This is just the people of God. And what we're supposed to do is give praise to him and proclaim his name, and to make known among the nations, here is what God has done. We can't make it known among the nations, if the only time we tell people about God is when we're here in the Sunday celebration, telling other people that are here in the Sunday celebration, right? And then you get to the book of Acts, and it says, Paul and Barnabas, and I think this is when they were in Athens, I may be wrong, uh, Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. They were speaking to Jews, and they said, we had to speak the word of God to you first. But since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. Now again, this is Paul. Paul's story is in Acts, where God told them, hey, I'm going to use you to reach the Gentiles and rulers and kings and government leaders, but it's also Barnabas. And we don't see where God told him that anywhere. And the understanding is, 
It's the responsibility of every Christian to do this. Because he said, this is what the Lord has commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is, this is what every Christian is supposed to do, right? And then Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, he writes to them and he says, he called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, meaning God, has called you to this through our gospel. That word gospel that he uses is the Greek word evangelio or some evangelizo. It's actually pronounced, uh, let me check, euangelion, because it's Greek, but in our English transliteration, it's evangelizo or evangelion, and it means the good news. It's, it's, it's what the gospel is all about. And the first time that we see that word used, again, we'll hear more about this at Christmas time, but in the book of Luke, at the birth of Jesus, the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That word good news is that same word evangelizo, where we get the word evangelism. Now we get the word evangelism from good news, we get the concept of evangelism from what they did next. What the shepherds did is they hurried off, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, and when they had seen him, little baby Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. So they went off, they saw little baby Jesus, and then they went to tell other people, not that, hey, I saw a little baby, but they told him what had been said about baby Jesus, which is that he is the savior of all humanity. So this, this whole concept of evangelism is something that every Christian is supposed to do. It's something that every Christian is called to do, commanded to do. It's the only reason why the church exists, why we're here on earth, right? If it were not for us having to share the gospel, we could just all be in heaven with Jesus. But here's the problem. Most Christians don't do it because we think it's too hard, we think you have to be trained, or we think it's it, it's not that easy. But here's the reality. It is extremely simple. It is an extremely easy concept. It's as easy as one, two, three. So we're going to spend the next uh, three weeks talking about it. Uh, this week I'm going to talk about step one. If you want to hear about step two and three, come back next week. But step one is really simple. It's the fact that evangelism has to start with prayer because it needs to be led by the Holy Spirit. Right? Evangelism has to start with prayer because it needs to be Holy Spirit led. Can we go up to just anybody and talk about Jesus and God and whatever? Yeah, but here's what happens when we don't do it from a prayer perspective. And I'm going to show you with a couple of passages of Scripture. Right? So in, in the book of Acts, right, it says in Acts chapter 1, after his, meaning Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them, meaning the apostles, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. It's important. Every word in the Bible matters. Jesus shows up. He proves to them that I'm the same Jesus, but I rose from the dead. And here's what he focuses on. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Now, here's what happens next. On one occasion where he showed up to them, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, command, non-negotiable. 
He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, hey, don't go anywhere. Stay where you are. And this gift that my father promised, not just to the apostles, but to all of Israel, it was something all of Israel was waiting on, the uh, Holy Spirit. He said, you've heard my father promise this, but you've heard me speak about it. It's going to come in a few days. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Their response was then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So God says, Jesus in the flesh proves that he's the resurrected Jesus. God in the flesh says, hey, stay here. And this thing that people have been waiting for, for literally thousands of years, generations to occur, is going to occur to you. And their response is, hey, even though you've been talking about the kingdom of God, their response is, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Their response is, here's what we want. Here's what we need. Here's what we think that you're talking about. And if it had not been for the Holy Spirit, what they would have went out and talked about was, hey, the kingdom of Israel. But that's not what God wanted. Right? So Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority. And this is for all of us that are waiting for this whole political you know, thing because the elections are coming. It's not for us to worry about making the country a better place in God's light. Our job as Christians is to share the gospel. Yeah, if you have the ability, wherever you're watching, in your state, in your nation, in your country, to vote, vote. But that's not our priority. He says, it's not for you to know the times of date the Father is set by his own authority. In other words, God's going to take care of that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, hey, I'm going to have the Holy Spirit come. You're going to be baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And they say, hey, is this about us doing, you know, Israel stuff? Here's what he wants. And he says, no, it's not. You're going to, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can be my witnesses, so that you can go out and testify about who Jesus is. Now, that's what he told them would happen. And now here's what actually happened. In Acts chapter 2, it says when the day of Pentecost came, they, meaning all of the apostles and the disciples, were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, the, the, the speaking in other tongues, whole other conversation, it's not the power, it's evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not the only evidence, it is an evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But that's not why the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit didn't come and fill them just so they could speak in other languages. The Holy Spirit came, Jesus said, so that they could be witnesses. And here's exactly what happened after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. People criticized them and said, you guys must be drunk, you're speaking in other languages. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. This is the same Peter who when Jesus was 
uh, being arrested, ran off. The same Peter who, when Jesus was put on trial, he cowered outside and refused to acknowledge that he even knew Jesus. And when a little girl said, hey, aren't you one of those Christians? He cursed her out. The same Peter who didn't want to be acknowledged with Jesus before he was filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Peter who was like, hey, when are you going to make our thing right, Israel? It's about our kingdom, our policies. That same Peter, before, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, that same Peter stood up and said, hey, can I have everyone's attention? Listen to me, I want to make an announcement. And became a witness and began to testify about Jesus Christ. So he gives this whole big long speech, which many theologians believe is one of the most eloquent uh, gospel-centered speeches in the New Testament. And when he finishes, he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And here's, here's why he said Messiah. He could have said he has made him Lord and left it at that. But the people that he was speaking to, he made it relevant to them. In his speech, he talked about their history. He talked about their desires. And he talked about how God fulfilled it because every person was there to celebrate a Jewish festival. And every person there was looking for, waiting for the Messiah. He didn't make it about him. He made it about the kingdom of God and how Jesus fulfilled that. And then this is what happens next. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart because he spoke directly to what they were longing for, what they were needing. He didn't speak to, here's what Peter wants. He spoke to, here's what God wants for you and for all humanity. And they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Same people that just a little bit earlier Instead of calling them brothers, they called them drunkards. Now they were like, hey, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter responds, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, it's for your children, for all who are far off, not just Israel, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. And it's important, it's important that, that, that we understand a distinction, right? Why evangelism has to be prayer-led, because it needs to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I want to show you two, two verses from what we just read that shows before what the focus was and then after. So before they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the focus was, hey, Lord, when are you going to establish the kingdom and restore it to Israel? Before they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were only interested in their needs, their desires, and what they thought was relevant. But after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were, Peter was all about, hey, you need to repent. And this is the Amplified Version. Change your views and purpose to accept the will of God in your inner selves instead of rejecting it. Before, Peter and the disciples, if they had gone out to do evangelism, it would have been, here's what we want, here's what we think. But after, when you pray about it and let the Holy Spirit guide it, it's all about here's what Jesus wants, and here's God's kingdom, and here's how you can be a part. So it's important that um, we understand this because 
Evangelism has to start with prayer. Not that, hey, you're standing in the store and you start praying, then God show me who to talk to. But in your regular daily prayer time, part of your prayer is, hey, you know what, God? If there's a way for you to use me in my work, in my school, at the gym, in the grocery line, in the restaurant, wherever, then I pray that you would use it. It has to be a regular, consistent thing as part of your prayer life to allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. Because here's what happens. Uh, evangelism is not about us. When we allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to lead it, we realize it is about Jesus. It's not about what we want. It's not about what we think. It's not about sharing our political views. It's all about Jesus and his kingdom. Evangelism is not about bringing people to the Sunday celebration. And that's what some people have made it about. Uh, years ago, uh, I went to a church in Maryland. Thank God I don't remember the name. And I can remember after going for a couple of weeks, they had an announcement where the pastor was like, we're going to announce the winner of this contest they had been going on about. And it was people bringing other people to the Sunday celebration. And whoever brought the most number of people, they want a trip. And I'm like, if you invited me and I found out the only reason you invited me was so you could win a trip, I would feel used, abused, and manipulated. But a lot of people make evangelism about filling the seats and the pews when it's not about bringing to the people to the Sunday celebration. It's about inviting people into God's kingdom to be a part of God's family. And evangelism isn't optional. It's a biblical mandate. It's something that God demands us to do, commands us to do, but also equips us to do if we're willing to spend the time in prayer and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. So uh, we're going to close with this. I want to pray because all of us probably have family members, and Martha, I will pray for Bob and Aries as well, but all of us probably have family members and friends who we want to come and experience the love of Jesus Christ. We want to uh, them to experience salvation. We want them to know the love that we've experienced, the mercy and grace and forgiveness of God. So right now, just think about your family member. It could be someone in your immediate family, uh, brother, sister, mother, father, uncle, aunt, cousin, uh, my second cousin, twice removed on your third cousin, Bertha's side, whatever. We all have people maybe in our workplaces that we would love for them to come and experience the love of Christ. But we find that difficulty in talking about God at work. Uh, when I was stationed at the Pentagon, there was a guy who was in charge of me, Staff Sergeant Abel P. Gaetan. He was the non-commissioned officer in charge of the uh, department I was in at the Pentagon. And at the time, I used to hang out with him. I was not a Christian. used to go partying with him, used to drink with him until he committed his life to Christ, and then he stopped doing all that. He didn't condemn me for doing it or judge me for doing it, but whenever he had the opportunity, he would tell me about what God was doing in his life and how his life had been changed since he became a Christian. Because that's what we're supposed to do. People in your workplace, people in your family, people at school, all the students are going back to school, and... um there are lots of organizations that work with uh, Students for Christ, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, all of these different organizations that will work with the students to equip them 
to share the gospel in, in, in their classrooms and in their student groups. But think about your family, think about your friends, and I want to pray for them. God, we lift up all of these people to you, our family, our friends, our co-workers, fellow students, teachers, uh, people that we know, who we would love to see come to the saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. Who we would love to see experience his mercy, his grace and forgiveness, just as we have. Who we would love to see them just, just filled by the love that you have poured out on us. And we pray that that would happen. But God, we also pray that if it be your will, that you would use us to do it. That you would begin to transform our hearts to allow us to acknowledge and realize that we are the people that you're going to use to transform our communities, our schools, our workplaces, and our homes. And we pray that we would regularly and consistently be open to and understand the calling on our lives to share the gospel, not to beat people over the head with the Bible, but to share what you have been doing in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, really quick, I want to say a prayer for, uh, let me look it up, Martha uh, for... Bob and Aries and God, we don't know what that prayer need is, but we pray for Martha, we pray for Bob, we pray for Aries, we pray for your Holy Spirit to kind of lead and guide whatever that situation is. If it's healing, if it's financial hardship, whatever it is, we hand it over to you, lay it down at your altar, and trust that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Pray that you have an awesome rest of your Sunday. Uh, God bless, and see everyone next week. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com, or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you, and God bless.